Happy Friday. I'm Brian Colbert-Kennedy, and this is Important Not Important, science for people who give a shit. The newsletter features the most important science news, how to think about it, and what the hell you can do about it. Hit subscribe right now so you get this audio newsletter every Friday, plus our conversations with the smartest people in the world on Mondays. You can find the digital version and links to everything at newsletter.importantnotimportant.com or right from your show notes. It's Friday, February 18th, 2022. Here's this week summarized. America will see an average of 12 inches of sea level rise by 2050. That's a foot. One million COVID deaths. One billion dollars for cover crops. Antimicrobial resistance got next. And Clearview's next steps to harvest your data. In climate change news, the water will come. Sea levels along the coastal United States will rise by a foot or more, depending on location, by 2050, as much as they've grown in the last 100 years. The future is here, and it's accelerating. The New York Times reported moderate or typically damaging flooding will occur 10 times more often by 2050 than it does today. The next 30 years of sea level rise are more or less locked in, and it's going to affect everything, from real estate to insurance to basic infrastructure. In Boston, sea level rise could reach 16 inches. In Miami, basically everything, including the invaluable but precariously located Turkey Point nuclear power plant, is under great threat thanks to underlying terrain made from Swiss cheese. In New York, sea level rise could be 2 feet by 2055. But here's the thing. Talking about inches of sea level rise is like talking about degrees of warming. What are the real-world implications? Well, total damages from floods and hurricanes last year cost $100 billion. 13% of all U.S. properties already faced almost certain risk of flooding, so we're just getting warmed up. From Grist, quote, a new study published this week in the journal Nature Climate Change projects that the number of people in the U.S. who are exposed to flooding will almost double over the next 30 years. And that number is driven, like the wildfires out west, by population growth in zones already vulnerable to flooding. One would think this is where the insurance industry steps in and freaks out, but not quite. Most flood insurance comes by way of the federal government, while fire insurance is mostly private, except for those in California who are refused and have to buy the FAIR plan. And whereas fire insurers have been freaking out for years, the NOAA is mostly relying on rainfall reports that are often 50 years old, and so the insurance policies built on them are, at best, completely lacking. Homeowners are locked into mortgages for homes that never should have been built. We just keep building where we shouldn't, and at some point, it's got to stop. Nothing in the future will be equitable unless we make it so. From Nature, quote, the future increase in risk will disproportionately impact black communities while remaining concentrated on the Atlantic and Gulf coasts. Bloomberg's 2021 investigation showed historically redlined neighborhoods already suffer the most, and the Intercept cross-referenced 6,500 carceral facilities across these fruited plains to find crumbling structures and people under constant threat from hurricanes, extreme rain, and rising seas. Looking further out, an additional foot of sea level rise is possible by 2100, but there's still a hell of a lot we can do to slow that down. Flooding and fires aren't going to go away because we refuse to account for them. We have to do better better. Your action step, find your home's flood risk and so much more at First Street Foundation. The link's in the newsletter. In COVID news, vaccine equity update. Just 10.6% of people in low-income countries have received at least one dose, and 38.1% of people worldwide have received no doses. Bootstraps for a pandemic. America has passed 1 million excess deaths since the pandemic began, and with Omicron cases and hospitalizations falling, mask mandates are falling too, despite over 3,000 deaths again yesterday. 
One million deaths. 21 months ago, the New York Times called 100 deaths an incalculable loss. What's 10 times that? And yet, people and policymakers are increasingly ready to move on. But who's being left behind? 7 million immunocompromised people to start, many of whom don't respond to vaccines. From the irreplaceable Ed Yong, quote, Close to 3% of U.S. adults take immunosuppressive drugs either to treat cancers or autoimmune disorders or to stop their body from rejecting transplanted organs or stem cells. That makes at least 7 million immunocompromised people, a number that's already larger than the populations of 36 states without even including the millions more who have diseases that also hamper immunity, such as AIDS and at least 450 genetic disorders, end quote. Who else are we leaving behind? Hourly workers without paid sick leave, young children without vaccines, almost 100 million more with underlying conditions that make a potential COVID infection more severe. We've spent decades building accommodations for disabled people to enable a more accessible everyday life. Why aren't we doing the same for those still more vulnerable to COVID? Perhaps the wealthiest country in history, which is also among the last in maternal health outcomes, which has spent four centuries enslaving and marginalizing black, brown, Asian, and indigenous people, whose inequality is peaking at a 50-year high and which doesn't guarantee parental leave, shouldn't be the measuring stick for equitable protection. As Dr. Greg Gonzalez, an associate professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health and a longtime AIDS activist put it, quote, what would it mean to move into a future in which a common fate mattered as much as our own? it would mean no one was disposable. COVID isn't done with us. However done with it we may be, however able some of us may be to survive it, in this approaching post-Omicron lull, we need to vaccine the world to combat misinformation. We need better ventilation, more tests, sick leave, more nurses and doctors and nurses of color, and better forecasting. Like climate, we need to do it all. We have to return to a model of thinking that isn't just about your health, but about public health. Your action step? Read Ed's article in full. Links in the newsletter. In food and water news, let's fix farming, shall we? The U.S. Department of Agriculture announced $1 billion toward pilot projects around cover crops, low-till or no-till farming, agroforestry, rotational grazing, and reforestation, or as they're calling them, climate-smart commodities. Okay. The project proposes to do its homework, throwing cash at the tool's ability to not only build markets, but also to measure, monitor, and verify whether they, you know, actually draw down carbon in any meaningful way. According to U.S. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, we want a broad array of agriculture and forestry to see themselves in this effort, including small and historically underserved producers, as well as early adopters. The quiet part out loud, 98% of rural land in the U.S. is owned by white people, most of whom are boomers or older, and, well, the receipts are in. Monocrops, industrial agriculture, and the climate crisis have left soil nutrients depleted, and droughts and flooding threaten what's left. And despite increasing evidence of the proliferation and potency of methane, re-global warming, beef and dairy cattle, 27% of U.S. methane emissions, by the way, aren't under the microscope as much as, say, fossil gas. The more we can measure a problem like this one, the more we can hold corporations accountable and slow warming at the same time. Your action step? Basically, everyone can apply from state and local governments to small businesses, nonprofits, tribal organizations and governments, and more. The first round of applications for large-scale projects, from $5 million to $100 million, is due April 8th. And there's also a second round for smaller projects. Click the link in the newsletter. In health and bio news, I've put this off for long enough. One pandemic at a time is enough for even a shit-giver. But life just keeps on keeping on. All we can choose is how we react to it. Deep breath. 
From The Guardian, quote, antimicrobial resistance poses a significant threat to humanity, health leaders have warned, as a study reveals it has become a leading cause of death worldwide and is killing about 3,500 people every day. More than 1.2 million, and potentially millions more, died in 2019 as a direct result of antibiotic-resistant bacterial infections, according to the most comprehensive estimate to date of the global impact of antimicrobial resistance. Like COVID, that figure jumps to almost 5 million deaths a year once you count folks who had an antibiotic-resistant infection but didn't clearly die of it. Either way, it's now more than HIV, AIDS, and malaria, and that's not a group you want to be in. Quick reminder... Antibiotics changed the world. They were probably the single biggest difference between World War I and World War II. Overuse of one of our wonderful antibiotics, whether after a World War II strafing run for your sinus infection or because we keep pumping cocktails of them into livestock and then you eat, results in bacteria, OG on planet Earth, quickly adapting to those same wonder drugs, which makes those drugs less effective, which suddenly makes paper cuts once again as scary as that scene in Master and Commander where they had to cut the kid's leg off. Your action step. Join the Center for Food Safety's campaign to hold McDonald's accountable for still giving drugs to cows. In beep-boop news, but how will I know you? Over the past few weeks, we've harped on the IRS's requirement for users to scan their face with ID.me and what it means for AI ethics. It's unnecessary, a privacy nightmare, probably horribly biased, but also data security is a nightmare. And sure, ID.me isn't great, but have you met Clearview? From the Washington Post, quote, they're on track to have 100 billion facial photos in their database within a year, enough to ensure almost everyone in the world will be identifiable, according to a financial presentation from December obtained by the Washington Post. The company wants to expand beyond scanning faces for the police, saying in the presentation that it could monitor gig economy workers and is researching a number of new technologies that could identify someone based on how they walk, detect their location from a photo, or scan their fingerprints from afar. Clearview has built up their database by scraping your image and 900 plus billion others from social networks without asking for permission from anyone, period, and selling their tool to police forces, ICE, the FBI, and way more. They're also being sued, like, everywhere. In fact, their image stealing is so prevalent that Facebook has banned them. Facebook. Your action step? Use Common Cause to call your reps and demand that they support the Fourth Amendment is not for sale act, which is a real thing and much needed. Ten things from the notebook. Brazil is getting crushed by rain and landslides. There's still time to sign up to have a lemonade stand and fight kids' cancer. Why Europe is so hooked on Russian gas. Canadian doctors can now prescribe national park visits. The DeLorean is back, and this time it's electric. When your bionic eye stops getting software updates, Allbirds has launched a resale marketplace. What are the current hurdles to electrifying a home? All the Super Bowl EV ads in one place, and this is the very first woman cured of HIV. That's the news for this week. Hit subscribe right now so you get next week's analysis straight to your feed. To go deeper on any of the news or to find your action steps, go to newsletter.importantnotimportant.com. Thanks for being a part of our community, and thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend.